Hello, I'm Derek Weekly, and welcome to episode 204 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. What's that noise? Sorry, <laughs> it was me. Um, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you had a lovely Christmas. Um, I'm doing a little solo one today because it is, if you try, you try and get a guest on Christmas week, but um, I wanted to wrap this up anyways, these, this uh, this film list, but I want to also thank Michael Holly for coming on last week. To talk all things documentary and a couple of films that I talk about in this list will uh, will have been discussed then and um, fascinating episode. I really enjoyed it. I thought about it a lot actually as I came away from it um, about why we watch documentaries and why we choose. You know, Michael didn't want to say his favourites but the ones that made the most impact. I think that was important to mention and I'll go on to one in particular in this where it made more of an impact than something that I don't want to watch it again, per se, but it made a huge impact culturally and on me. So uh, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, you can support us in uh, on Buy Me A Coffee. Uh, the link is in the description. Um, I, you know, this is about cleaning up. But we, when I ranked the 40, um, songs, 41 songs, I did a, po- a podcast afterwards where I ranked the 40, those 41 in order of my favorites. So I wanted to do the same with films. And I, and I wanted to apologize to some people who told me they found it quite difficult to keep up with the 41 years, 41 films, because I did fl- try to fly through them and I was just naming films and directors and actors and stuff. On this episode, I'm going to be a little bit more clear. I'm not going to go into depth about all the films because it'll take too long, but I will definitely go more into depth about the ones that were maybe more important to me um, and I've said talked about them a bit already but maybe I'll go into a bit into depth on a, on a few of them anyway um, if you want to go back and listen to 41 years 41 films that's episode 199 so just five weeks ago um, I'm recording this before Christmas by the way this is a spoiler I just went for a run there so I'm on this like high that I get I'm really hoping I don't crash in the middle of this um, I also wanted to point out that this is quality over sentiment. So a lot of these films are very sentimental to me, but I wanted to pick um, the best films on this list um, by craft and and everything that goes into a film. So this is more quality over sentiment. And, you know, these are all brilliant films. There's no slight on any film in this list because I love them. So if someone hears the, the 39th and says, this should be way higher, I'm sorry, this is just my preference and my list. Okay, so... Uh, I also want to dedicate this song, to, uh, this fil- um, episode to uh, Tracy Bulger because um, I know how important that is to her. Uh, hopefully, she listens to this now. This is a, and it's a bit of a bit of an inside uh, joke, but uh, there you go. It's it's out there. Um, Joanne certainly knows what I'm talking about. All right. Anyway, so um, number forty-one is Asteroid City. Came out this year. Probably won't be able to appreciate it enough until I watch it. Um, again, I just watched it once a couple of weeks ago. Well, a few weeks ago. Um, Wes Anderson. It's all it's all the trademarks of Wes Anderson. I really like it. So again, there's no slight in it being 41, but that's where it's positioned. Number 40 is Prisoners. I think a lot of people will have seen Prisoners. This is probably one of the list that more people will have seen because it it does pop up on TV quite a bit, and I've seen it on like come up on RT and um. Channel 4 and then obviously the movie channels and things like that obviously it has Hugh Jackman in it as well so that kind of helps and Jake Gyllenhaal there's some twists and turns in it Melissa Leo's particularly good in it as a, psych- a psychopath um, 
not going to give anything away, by the way. Um, but it's a, a thriller um, of kind of the old school nature of thriller. Um, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. Number 39, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, I I was wondering if this should be higher. But. Like, it, it's kind of a sentimental one. I think it was maybe Pedro Almodovar's, the first film I saw by Pedro Almodovar. And it just was weird. And it, it was unlike anything I saw before. Um, And, you know, the acting was very different. It was very soapy, soap opera type. And I found it very funny, obviously. So I, I, it was a weird one. I had set 39, but again, it's not that it's not, a, I love it. It's, so I'm not any slight, but I'm still thinking like, should that be higher? And it, I think it probably should, but that's where it is for now. Um, I suppose every day, you know, if we make lists of music and films and any kind of media, it's, it's it would probably change every other day. And this just happened to be the day. There's some, especially the, the top 10 are kind of immovable. Um, but, but the ones around this area could be swapped in and out, I would say, and I wouldn't feel, but like kind of bad for any of them, even though feeling bad for a film is, is, is kind of strange. Number 38 is high fidelity. I talked about this, um, already a bit about the acting and stuff, but I think it, it left a mark because of the, it's just music. It's just a film about music and how, uh, someone can relate music to a person or a thing or a place. It's more, in particular, it's more a person in, in high fidelity, like, you know, to his exes and things like that. But you can relate music to a person, place, and it can bring you back to those moments. And there's something, there's nothing as quite as powerful as, as music to do that, even more so than, than films. But um, I just loved when I first saw it, how music centric it was. And I am, um, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where I kind of dip into. I've read the book as well, and and I read the book after I saw the film, and I do like the book, but the film is um maybe just because I saw it first, I I really like it. But um number thirty seven, terms of endearment. Some people would probably think, well, I'm not surprised that Derek likes terms of endearment, but I think it's, I think there's always a place for a good a weepy, um, sad, sentimental, um, you know, somebody. We've all had people who are very ill in our lives and what you try to do for that person and not, you know, not show that you're sad and try to boost them up and things like that. And I think while it's a very difficult thing to do, um, you do it because you love the person, especially if they're a family or a friend. And, you know, I, I, I do I do think that there's something very sweet in the relationship between Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson, even if it doesn't start out that way. So that's number 37 number 36 the Blair Witch Project a film which um, yeah like the, so if I go back to 199 I had this conversation about no sorry it's in my other my, uh, it's in my other copy so I had this conversation about Blair Witch and the year it came out um, and how uh, there was a couple of other films that probably should have beaten it so this did when I was listening. This did fall in under the 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 time and place that I saw it, and that's why it won. But again, it's great, and I I love it. I think it's really creepy and all that. So I'm glad I picked it in a sense. But 
it doesn't get higher than 36 because I don't, you know, when you when you hear some of the films that are above this, that just couldn't possibly be ahead of it. But, you know, if you do like horror films and you haven't seen it, I think everybody's seen it if they like horror films. But if you haven't, check out The Blair Witch. It's, um, it's always fun. I, 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 you know, I've watched it two or three times. Uh, number 35, Birdman. Birdman is one of those ones which, you know, they, for an, for a, an achievement in filmmaking, it's incredible. But, and I think I've watched it twice. I'm pretty sure I've watched it twice. But it's not, I don't know if it's going to stand the test of time, like um, in the Air 2's other films. So, I, you know, but I wouldn't mind going back and watching it again. I, I, I think Edward Norton is the standout in the film even though I think everybody is great in it, but I just just don't know Edward Norton in it because it's almost like he's telling you this is how I'm in real life. Um, number thirty four before sunrise, um, the first of a trilogy with with before sunset and before midnight. Um, I I just like the conversations and the and the the screenplay. I think the screenplay is 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 really good in it. I'm pretty sure. Is it by uh, Ethan Hawke? Julie Delpy are also involved with the screenplay. I think maybe they're not until sunset before sunset, um, but uh, it's 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 really good. Um, uh, Richard Linklater is the name of the director, by the way. Um, number thirty three, The Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I saw it in the states the first time, and and so it's a it's a classic. It's a Wes Anderson again, his second film on my list. Um. Again, I had to play around with the idea of this maybe be, being, it should maybe be higher. But is comedy my my favourite type of film? Probably not. So I don't, like, I guess we'll find out as we go down. There is comedy stuff further down, but not a huge amount. Um, But that's where we find it. Uh, 32, All Quiet on the Western Front, just came out there a couple of years ago. um, uh, Or last year, I should say. Uh, the remake, and I, I think it's an amazing piece of of filmmaking. And who would have thought that the, a remake of a film that was made in the early thirties uh, would actually be good? Because I think what these remakes sometimes fall on their arse, and and they they aren't good. Um, I think the cast is great, and and I do think it's not like no, I like nineteen seventeen, but there's something kind of Hollywood about it. Whereas this is more down and dirty and in the mud. I don't. I can't really explain that because there's obviously literally mud in uh, 1917, but there's something a bit different to it. So um, that's why it's there. Excuse me. Um, number 32, or sorry, 31, a separation. Uh, I think it's Iranian. It's an Iranian film, by the way. It's um, again one of those screenplays where you are seeing a marriage breakdown. Uh, and you don't really want to look away, but at the same time, do you really want to see a marriage breaking down? And you see it through the eyes of the daughter as well, and she's quite young in it. Um, uh, and, it, you know, it's a slow burner, and it won't be for everyone, but I like Fahardi's filmmaking. I think he's I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. He's won a couple of Oscars, and, it, you know... That's not. I know that's not everything, but I mean, there's there's something to that, and I I do think he he's a great great um, filmmaker. Even though uh, there's it's some sort of apparently plagiarism accusations being made against him. I'm not sure if it's for this film or Salesman. It's for one of them anyway. But there has been accusations made. Nothing proven, but yeah. Um, 
19, uh, sorry, number 30, The Signs of the Lambs. I don't really think I need to go into The Signs of the Lambs. We've all seen The Signs of the Lambs. It's a, it's an astonishing achievement in, in, in everything it does. Um, I think it's a really good psychological thriller. I don't think it's a horror, but you know, I do think it's, a, it's a brilliant psychological thriller. Um, do I hold it up as highly as other people? Maybe not, like, you know, the whole thing of the, there's one of the big five, um, one of the films that's won the big five at the Oscars. I probably don't hold it up as high as, as, as other people do, but that's not to say that it isn't absolutely brilliant. So, uh, Silence of the Lambs is there. 29, Happy Go Lucky, probably one of the lesser known ones on my list. Um, just Sally Hawkins. I love Sally Hawkins. I think she's, like, I think I said this in the last one, so I don't want to go on too much about it again, but I think she's an incredible actress. Uh, and she's obviously been in bigger films since Happy Go Lucky. Um, this was a was a Mike Lee film, um, and there's just something in the film where she's so adorable. And the I, I'm an apologies for not remembering the actor's name who was quite grumpy in the film, and and the the, the chalk and cheese thing, and he's he's her uh, he's teaching her how to drive, um. And it's just great. I I I love it. I love it. I, I I do love most of Mike Lee's films, to be fair. But I just think this one stands out a lot for me. Um, number twenty eight is a Hereditary, which is more of a horror film, I would say, than Silence of the Lambs. Um, is it better than Silence of the Lambs? I I mm, I probably prefer it. Now, I probably prefer it because it's it is a bit more horror, and. The bit with the the crawling on the wall or on the ceiling is just the most terrifying moment I've seen in film for a, a long time. And I will never forget it. And I've looked it up on YouTube since many times because we all need a good scare. Even though the first one, you'll never re- replicate the first one because, Jesus, I was not expecting it. Number 27, Stand By Me. Uh, I mean, it's a classic. It's uh, based on a Stephen King short story and it's about a group of kids who want to go see a dead body and the kind of trials and tribulations along the way that kids have to go through as they're growing up. And obviously there's another group who is an older brother's group who are bullies and it's Kiefer Sutherland is playing his very mean guy. Um, Very handsome man, Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland's just thinking of that because he's in... uh, the Lost Boys around that time as well. I think it is around that time. Um, but yeah, he's uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a classic. Um, number twenty six, the Ice Storm. I'd say this is probably the least. Well, no, I shouldn't say that actually. But again, one of the lesser known on the list as Corny Weaver in it. Um, it's it's a very it's set in the nineteen seventies and it's a very um based around the family. What's going on within the family and and how. They're all looking for ways to get out of the space that they're in and the places in their head that they're in. And I do love, I must watch it again, but I do love that the premise of an actual ice storm going on outside while this is all going on. So there's like a little bit of this is causing problems in the first place, but there's problems there anyway. And it's it's great. Um, go and find it if you can. It's directed by Ang Lee. Uh, 25 is Shoah. This is the film I mentioned last week uh, with Michael about it's nine hours and it's about it's a documentary on the uh, the Holocaust and uh, around the the the, the um, uh, concentration camps, and it's horrible, obviously, um, but it's a cultural touchstone in filmmaking and truth telling. Um, and and I, you know, it's it's very very difficult to watch. And I broke it up over three days when I watched it. I bought it on 
I bought it on Blu-ray because I think, you know, it was one of those ones when I was in the, the phase of I must see these films because they need to be watched and they're very important to learn about how low and, you know, horrible the humans can be. And it's it's brilliant, uh, but it's very, very difficult to watch. So, yeah, um, let's show it. Uh, 24, I Am Still Here, uh, a mockumentary, Joaquin Phoenix doing the whole rap thing. It's just, it's hilarious if you know what he's doing. It's cringy if you don't know what he's doing. Um, and if you're somewhere in between, because I think... Some people still question if that's what he actually wanted to do. He wanted to quit acting to become a rap a rap star. Um, there's something kind of you're kind of rooting for him <laughs> in a strange way, even though for me he's the greatest actor we have, and you wouldn't want him to quit acting to, to take up rap music, whether he's good or bad at it. Um, but it, there's like there's the tongue firmly in cheek, but at the same time he's so good at acting, you just don't know what to believe. So I look, go and watch it. It's great. Um, but it has bigger meanings to it as well, by the way. But I'm not going to even go into those right now. Um, so number 23, that looks like a seven. Number 23, Bowling for Columbine. Again, uh, a particularly famous film by the director, Michael Moore, another documentary about the Columbine massacre um, and how easy it is to get guns and how Walmart just sell bullets and... Uh, it goes into a lot of stuff and Marilyn Manson's in it, who's great in it, to be fair, the, his, the little speech he gives, because at the time, believe it or not, some people were blaming him for, for what was happening because of his lyrics. And um, he gives a great, you know, interview with Michael Moore about it. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I think it's it's a very important documentary again. 22, The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I think I said this before. It used to be my favourite film. Um, again, I think this is probably... the maybe one of the most watched on the list because it's been on everywhere. Um, a box office flop, as I mentioned at the time, but something that with DVD sales probably made its money back because everybody had it. Um, I remember watching a rental copy with my friend Simon Crean and uh, I didn't know what to, to, you know, I was like, this is, you know, something else. And I was quite young at the time, believe it or not. Uh, number 21, Whitnail and I. So there's another comedy for you. So I'm not just all gloom and doom. Um, I think I mentioned a good bit about this on on the last one, and um, there's there's characters within this that are beautifully um British and exaggerated, obviously, but at the same time, as as an Irish person looking in. I always exaggerate British people and <laughs> certain British people of, of, I don't know why I'm reordering, but if people aren't looking at me, I'm actually reorganizing my desk as I talk. But I, I think, you know, it plays, it plays brilliantly with those ideas of the stoner and then of the rich, uh, the rich man and, and the gay man who's, you maybe at the time is a little bit over the top. Like, you know, the gay people, gay people can't possibly keep their hands off men, you know, but, um, Richard E. Grant is great in it, obviously, and yeah, go watch it. It's cool. Uh, number twenty, Parasite, the the um, uh, South Korean Oscar Best Picture Oscar winner uh, a few years ago. Um, it's very hard to describe Parasite, and you wouldn't want to go too into depth on it because it's it's a film that you do not want to give away anything about. So, I think people wanted to watch it, um, and the director uh, said. 
at the at, at the Oscars like that people are put off by those little characters on on the screen, you know, the the subtitles and you shouldn't be because you're missing out on so many great films. And I would have disagree because I've got some a lot of foreign language films. in Well, not a lot, but a few foreign language films in here. And I think uh, with that film, it's so clever, clever and so layered and uh, like a commentary on class and, and, and amongst other things that um, it's like how he gets everything into it and still makes it so um, like broad for people to understand, I guess, rather than, you know, for it subtleties in here and there. He doesn't hold back on, on certain issues. I just think it's so well put together. And again, it's probably the screenplay that's the best thing about it. Even though the directing and the acting is great, the screenplay is just stunning. Um, number 19, Collective. Uh, again, I mentioned this last week uh, with Michael, and this is a Romanian documentary about a fire in a nightclub and uh, how the, some of the survivors were badly um, injured and uh, maimed, basically, and how they tried to get to the bottom of it and get some answers. It's sad, it's sad and it's it's um but it's it's brilliant piece of documentary and I remember watching it and saying I'm talking to my mom about it and saying you have to watch this film it's just it's unbelievable so I was so blown away by it it's it's great uh, number eighteen this is England uh, a great piece of um, filmmaking by Shane Meadows um, based around the this is my I've got two Shane Meadows in this in this list I'm a big fan of his um, but the the kind of Social realism set in the 1980s about, you know, the youth in Britain and, um, you know, the side effects of things like the Falcon War and how they've come disassociated with, with um, maybe with family life. And they've young kids have gone on to reach out to people who are only too desperate to kind of bring them into the group and, and turn them into something else. And the whole racism thing comes into it and um, skinhead culture and it's it's great um uh, number 17 the big lebowski again another comedy but it's not you know just a comedy there's there's a lot more going on in it um <laughs> this is like a stoner comedy when we when we were young and um it was like a wink wink have you seen the big lebowski thing because it is kind of that kind of that stoner um slacker comedy that was you know I suppose kind of started in the 90s anyway, slacker comedies. Well, maybe it started in the late 80s, but the idea of the slacker being the winner and the underdog and you want them to 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 get something on the in the on the man, you know, to take them down. And I just think that's um it's so well done in the Big Lebowski and the Coen brothers are just great. I keep saying great, but you know, they're all these these are some of my favorite films, so I'm going to say that. Um, number 16, Get Out. Uh, if you haven't seen Get Out, again, I wouldn't want to <laughs> spoil too much for you. But what I will say is, I'd say that, um, again, social critique and um, uh, looking into racial pre- um, prejudice in the States and then telling it through satire and um, I suppose there's some sci-fi elements and, and, you know, the horror elements and stuff in it as well. But there's so much in the, the the screenplay that I'm surprised that it all comes together. And it's like what I said for Parasite. I don't know how someone brings that together, but that's why someone like Jordan Peele is the filmmaker and the genius. And, and I'm, I'm the one just here talking about it, that there's a, there's a, there's levels to this game. And he's done, he's done three films, hasn't he? 
Yeah, I think you've done three. And I've really enjoyed all three, but I think Get Out is still... Or is Us maybe better? I don't know. Anyway, it's there. It's not for for now. I know I said I wouldn't go into depth on in, in these films, but I've gone kind of into depth on all of them. But it's it's a lesser list, so you can kind of follow it a bit easier. Uh, number 15, The Power of the Dog. It's on Netflix. It's a Jane Campion film. Uh, it's it's Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch proving me wrong as to his skill of holding my attention for a, a full two hours. Um, now he's got he's got a great supporting cast with him, but when he's on the screen, it's the rest is kind of forgotten, and he probably shouldn't want him won an Oscar for to be fair to him. Um, great score, Johnny Greenwood, acoustic, uh, mostly acoustic um, guitar. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. I think I, I, I kind of expected it to be good. I, you know, one of those ones that was all lined up to be good with a good director and uh, Johnny Greenwood and score and actors and all that. And, uh, you know, I didn't kind of expect it to be that good, but it was. Um, number 14, Brokeback Mountain. Suppose we all know what this is as well. Ang Lee directed it too. So two Ang Lee films on the list. Um, you know, it, it, it went through a lot of crap when it came out because everybody was saying all kinds of it was about uh, gay cowboys that it was kind of getting slagged for just it just being a gay romance. So I'm not watching, do you know, the usual. I'm not watching two men kissing. Um, but it's a it's a amazing love story. Um, but also, there's a fallout from their love. Um, well, I guess the fact that they can't you know, follow it up. Um, and that they've, they've wives at home whose hearts they're breaking and, and they've got, they're in this kind of macho industry where they can't be, um, seen as, as gay. Um, and it's obviously it's set in, in, I don't know if it's set in the fifties or sixties, but, um, yeah. So they can't be seen to, to be gay and they know that. So there's, there's kind of, um, there's an end point to it all that this is all going to just stop um, at some point or it's going to fade away. And all it left behind, leaves behind is like four people with, with broken hearts, which is, you know, I mean, it makes for a good weepy film, but, you know, you don't want that in real life. But it's an, it's a great piece of um, work. Cinematography is beautiful. Number 13, Dog Tooth. I, I spoke about this because it was um, it's a Greek film. I tried to explain this to people. It's it's so hard to explain. It's a Greek film about family where the parents have told the kids that you can't go outside the house because it's dangerous and a cat could kill you, maul you, and that you can't go over the wall. Um, And then as the kids get older, as like they go through puberty, well, like they're, they're older in it, but the puberty and then this, their their sex drive comes into it. So the father says, well, we'll bring someone in to have sex with the girls. And then one of them, like, I don't want to spoil too much, but like one of them finds a, is it Rocky? A tape of Rocky. And the father finds out and he smashes her over the head with the video. And it's like, it's still not doing the film justice in the sense of how powerful it was to sit down in the, I saw it in the, um, the lighthouse in in uh, Smithfield, and with my friend Bones, and we, like I said on the on the previous one, we didn't know what we were going to see, and we'd read a little paragraph on it, um, and it wasn't particularly full. The cinema there was a few 
empty, still a few empty seats in it, but it's a decent crowd. Like the lighthouse is always good because people go there if they, you know, nerds and the bones live just over a, f- a few stories above the lighthouse there in Smithfield. So we just had to go downstairs. But I don't think we talked much about it. And it, 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 because what, because I don't want to tell you what the ending is, but what, there was something that we, there was nothing there that we could say because we didn't have <laughs> any words to figure out what happened. And I've watched it since and I've got more from it. But I know that it was probably the greatest film I've seen in the cinema because of that reason. That I came out thinking it was brilliant, but having no words to describe why I thought it was brilliant. It's the best I can do in that. Um, number 12, Dead Man's Shoes. Um, the person who I dedicated this to, Tracy, uh, she is is a fan of tw- Dead Man's Shoes. She told me after she listened to 41 Years, 41 Films episode. Um, again, Shane Meadows directed it, Paddy Considine. Uh, revenge kind of thriller you know kind of again it's social commentary in in the sense of what we do when we're hurt and we're we're, we're grieving and we're we've got all this pain in us and we feel that these are the people that cause this pain so automatically i'm gonna cause them pain and that's what the what the film does and that's what the character does. And you go along with it. And Paddy Considine, like, there's a bit where he points at his palm of his hand, saying he 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 has the people in the film in the palm of his hand. And that's what he had. He had me in the palm of his hand. There you go. Um, number 11, Shortcuts. Robert Altman, a, a hero director of mine. Do you know, like, Robert Altman was kind of the guy who, I'm pretty sure he was the guy. He may have seen it in another film, that an unintentional moment in another film. But he's the one that decided that the characters should be talking across each other. So while somebody's talking to someone in a in a scene, that there should be someone in that scene too talking to someone else. Now, I'm not describing it well, but if you go on YouTube and you see some of the examples of what I'm talking about, he's the first one to kind of do it. From, from what I know, from what I've read, he was the first one to do it. That there can be people cross-talking. It doesn't have to be just that person and then that person and then back to the first person. You know, he he had the idea of, well, I'll, mi- I'll mix this up a bit and make it kind of more interesting that, you know, you have to decipher what's going on in certain parts. And I, I love that. Shortcuts, uh, based on uh, Ray McCarver's short stories and, and one poem, um, and he tells them all and puts them all together and there's different things happening and they all blend in and, you know... Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's like my favorite director um, working today. And he definitely watched all of Robert Altman films uh, because he does the same with casts. He brings in like all the best casts he can. And it's it's just people that, you know, I know that person, that person, that person. That's what Robert Altman does. Go watch Shortcuts. It's great. Number 10, Fargo. Another one that probably a lot of us have seen. uh, The Coen brothers again. Uh, Frances McDormand just... Like she, people knew who she was before, but this arriving on the scene like this and winning a, an Oscar and doing her Minnesota accent so perfectly. And I didn't know what a Minnesota accent was until I heard her. And then I had to go back and listen. I was like, that's actually very good Minnesota accent. Um, there's, there's a lot going on in it. Uh, there's a film called, K- what is it called? Kimono the, what is it? The Treasure Is it called Kimono the Treasure Hunter? And what it is is, she is in Japan and she watches Fargo. She believes that when the suitcase is buried in the snow in Fargo, that that's real, really happened. So her 
trip then to she goes to Minnesota to see if she can find this suitcase. It's a really great film. There's more to it than that, obviously. But the premise of that alone is just genius. I, I love the idea that someone would see it as a documentary, Fargo, because um, it's not shot like that, by the way. But it's it's a, a magnificent film. Number nine, Goodfellas. We've all seen Goodfellas. Um, what is there to say? Ray Liotta's best role um, made for him. Um, he hasn't always been great. Rest in peace to him. But in that, he's so good. And he's got people around him. Joe Pesci being brilliant, um, uh, Robert De Niro, um, well, Scorsese obviously directing it, but just, uh, just a, just the perfectly made film, and uh, and you know, I think I'm I'm pretty sure that Scorsese's mother plays De Niro's mother in the film when they go and have a meal with them with her, and they've got the guy in the trunk. I'm pretty sure that's his mother, um. Number eight, Moonlight. Um, just a, a film told in three parts of of the a black kid growing up uh, with a with a I suppose an unstable mother with addiction problems, uh, and he has his own. He's fighting his own battles, um, you know, uh, with with who he is in the world and what he is, and uh, I won't spoil anything again. But it's 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 a it's a such a great movie. Barry Jenkins directed it. Uh, I loved. He's he's one of those guys, right? So he inter, when he does a film, he did Beale Street. And uh, if it's if Beale Street could talk um, afterwards, and I'd love listening to him being interviewed or a podcast. He's such an intelligent lad and lad, such an intelligent guy. And and when I heard him talk about Moonlight afterwards. Um, you know, I, I kind of, it's not one that you, you'll understand what Moonlight is about, but there's just when you hear a director and writer talk about why they did it, you're kind of like, oh, that's even better now. Number seven, King of Comedy, Scorsese again. Robert De Niro's best role, possibly, maybe. It's a hard one to say, really. I think people would disagree and probably say Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, Taxi Driver. I'd, I'd, it'd be between this, it's a flip of a coin between this and... Uh, sorry, between Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, but King of Comedy, there's just something so, something so, something off about him. Obviously, there's something off about him in Taxi Driver, but it's more obvious. Where King of Comedy, it's at any moment he could kill someone. That's what you feel like, and that's not even though that's not the part, and you don't, you know, it's it's not even implied. You still think from watching his performance that he may. Uh, kill someone and Sarah Bernhardt in her role as well that she's definitely someone that you'd say probably has killed someone at this point uh, Jerry Lee, Jerry uh, Lewis is in it as well um, as he plays a, a kind of plays himself I suppose but he gets kidnapped by them and it's it, lots of stuff happened number six old boy uh, again South Korean film too hard to explain what old boy is about in this space of time um, I think I mentioned one of the best fight scenes of all time in that film uh, you know, he's locked in, he's basically locked in a room for a number of years and then he gets out and then he has to figure out who locked him in that room and all sorts of dodgy, weird things happen along the way, but it's so good. Very, very good. Number five, the master, Paul Thomas Anderson comes in, into the list. Uh, I talked about this in, in, in depth the last time and I, I text, um, 
my friend Joanne about it. I think, I think I texted the, the clip uh, that I was talking about where Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Zimmer Hoffman are doing the, the auditing part or whatever it's called. Uh, the kind of Scientology uh, aspect of the film where they have to kind of break the person down to figure out who they are. And it's just the best to, to like best one on one thing I've, I've ever seen in a film. And I love the kind of bits about, you know, where is he? He's such an enigma, the film Seymour Hoffman character, even though, you know, he tries to be the gentleman and all this. And you, then you see these cracks appear and his son in it, played by Jesse Plemons, is trying to warn uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character that like this is, it's all nonsense. Like he's just making it up. Um, and I do love that kind of stuff because I uh, like an insider is the one trying to break it down. And I, I you know, so it's, it's great. It's, it's a great film. Number four, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Maybe my favorite screenplay of all play of all time. I would have it up there. Um, I watched a little clip of someone talking about it there um, a few days ago, and they spoke about the how natural the, the roles are to the people who are playing it. Like Chris Penn is clearly as someone who's a very good storyteller, and he's given that um, that role in the film. Um, and he. The person who was talking about even talked about like the cop, you know, gets his ear cut off. But even the cop in the toilet who, you know, when um, Tim Roth is drying his hands and the dryer comes on and cuts off the co- the officer telling his story and he looks over him like he was even saying how good that is. And the, the older guy in it um, is a tyranny. Uh, how good he is. Is he Fat Joe? Is that his name? In it? Um but it's, yeah, it's it's the perfect storm. But yeah, look, Tarantino hasn't always been great, but I think that is a, a classic. It'll go down as the one. Number three, and we're in the top three now. These three are in, actually, include Reservoir Dogs there. Those, these four are in my top 10 films of all time. So number three is Paris, Texas. I talked about this uh, Harry Dean Staunton-led uh, vehicle uh, directed by Wim Wenders, the Dutch filmmaker. A guy who... Someone described as as so good at making films in America because he's not from America. So he he looks at America differently and he shoots America differently. As whereas if we're from Ireland and we see like fields and and hedgerows all the time, we don't find that interesting. But if an American who's from New York City comes over, they might find it interesting as the colors and the shapes and the and the you know the branches and the leaves and all that kind of stuff. And they might shoot that, whereas we would just ignore it. I thought it was a great way of looking at the way Wim Wenders makes films. And you can see the way he shoots. Um, the the character, the, the Harry Dean Stanton uh, character coming out of the desert at the start, it's just a kind of master shot. Like, it just grabs your attention. And I think his exterior shots are are more... Yeah, because like, look, the interior shots are interior shots, but exterior shots are, are more interesting than I think a lot of American make, filmmakers would have made it. So I, I, I love that kind of idea. Number two, uh, Spike Lee's classic, Do the Right Thing. I am a big Spike Lee fan, I will admit. Um, I I loved, I still do love his films, even Chirac, which was kind of weird, but I, it was, I kind of liked it. Uh, but I think... Do the right thing is all the best of of Spike Lee in one film. Um, like the opening of uh, it's fight the power, isn't it? Yeah, 
and Rosie Perez dancing to it. Like even that, like it's just, and the way it's drenched, I think it's drenched in red. I'm sorry if I'm wrong on these things. Like I can't remember everything, but she's drenched in red as she's dancing to Fight the Power. And that song being such an important kind of message to what's going to happen in the film and, you know, the racial tensions and uh, while the, all of New York or where they're from anyway is baking in the sunshine and it, you can feel it like it is, you know, th- those characters in it, they feel very real, like the Italians feel very real and the black people feel very real with the way they speak to the Italians and the way there's a dislike in the community for other communities. It's and you feel it starting to brew and it's very, very tense. And I just think and it's got a bit of humor in it because like, it's a Spike Lee film. But I, I just don't think anybody else could have made the film. And I think that's why it's in one. It's one of my top 10 films of all time because of that kind of impact it had on me. And number one, it won't be any surprise because I kind of spoiled it in the last episode is There Will Be Blood. Um, I, It's the best for me. It's the best film of the last 50 years and longer, 60 years. I've I've said this already that my favorite film is tw- is Twelve Angry Men. Do I think it's a, a technically a better achievement than There Will Be Blood? No, I don't. Obviously, so there's so much more that goes into why I prefer Twelve Angry Men and, and and would have it as my favorite if we want to pick a favorite, which we're doing for this episode. But There Will Be Blood is like the perfectly everything about the film is perfect because it starts with a 25 minute, almost 25 minute silent film, basically. So we get some of that. And we see the hellish kind of landscape of of where Daniel DeLewis is trying to make his money, and you see shifts in power. the The scene in the in the chapel where um, Daniel DeLewis is he's always been the the head guy over Paul Dano, and it's this power shift that happens in the chapel where Paul Dano, like Paul, he Daniel DeLewis has to gain the favor of the crowd, in you know. The, the people in the church. So he has to kind of, he knows he has to bow down to Paul Dano and it's the worst thing he could possibly do. If you took that clip from that scene where he shouts, I've abandoned my child, I've abandoned my boy, he would have won the Oscar alone on that. He won the Oscar anyway, but he would have won it alone on that clip. Like that is like, you like believe that Daniel Day-Lewis has abandoned his boy. At some point, he's going back into his past trauma of having abandoned his boy in real life. It's just, it's amazing. Like Paul Dano doesn't get enough credit, by the way, for, for his role in the film. I think he's unbelievable. I don't even think he got a, a, a supporting actor Oscar nomination. And I don't know if he did or not, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. There's the scene in the bowling alley where the infamous milkshake um, speech, Daniel Lewis, where he says he'll drink his milkshake is like the venom. And, you know, this, drunken man who's kind of got everything but lost everything at the same time is just taking everything out on this Paul, Paul Dano's character in it. And it's just the it's just power and greed and money and like even the bit where he goes over and abuses the 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 corporation guys in the in the bar where, where when he's there with his son it's just like he's so good in the film. It has to be, um, along with Jenna Rollins in uh, that. So this is why I just I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about Jenna Rollins, and I'm uh, I love Jenna Rollins, and I think her films with her husband, her husband John Cassavetti, were incredible. And she's, I mean, she's always great. She's still alive, um, 
sorry, to, just randomly uh, telling you she's still alive. But um, so uh, a woman under the influence, that's that. And this film, um, There Will Be Blood, they're the two greatest acting performances of all time, in my opinion. Um, Ray Milland in the last weekend, by the way, is, is right up there. But those two, for me, are the the, the most important uh, performances by anybody. And I love Brando and I love De Niro. I love all those people. But these two stand out. And this direction in There Will Be Blood, and it went, it came out in the same year as um, the, uh, No Country for All Men. And that was the one that kind of, one the uh, the big ones the best best picture best directors think stuff like that um I think there will be blood only one like cinematography John, Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead did the score again he did like I said earlier the Power of the Dog he's such a good um composer but he didn't win because or he didn't get nominated because there was a chunk of one of his songs from his first solo album in it and he can't it has to be fully original for it to be an Oscar contender which is harsh. Um, but th- there we go. There will be blood. Uh, classic. Um, I'm sorry if I if I waffled through too many of them and, and people couldn't keep up. Um, I'm going to fly through them just so you'll hear the names without me waffling. So 41 Asteroid City, 40 Prisoners, 39 Women on the Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, 38 High Fidelity, 37 Terms of Endearment, 36 The Blair Witch Project, 35 Birdman, 34 Before Sunrise, 33 The Royal Tenenbaums. 32, All Quiet on the Western Front. 31, A Separation. 30, The Silence of the Lambs. 29, Happy Go Lucky. 28, Hereditary. 27, Stand By Me. 26, The Ice Storm. 25, Shoah. 24, I'm Still Here. 22, Bowling for Columbine. Oh, sorry, that was 23. 22, The Shawshank Redemption. 21, With Nail and I. 20, Parasite. 19, Collective. 18, This Is England. 17, The Big Lebowski. 16, Get Out. 15, The Power of the Dog. 14, Brokeback Mountain. 13, Dogtooth. 12, Dead Man's Shoes. 11, Shortcuts. 10, Fargo. 9, Goodfellas. 8, Moonlight. 7, King of Comedy. 6, Old Boy. 5, The Master. 4, Reservoir Dogs. 3, Paris, Texas. 2, Do the Right Thing. And 1, There Will Be Blood. So, go watch some of these films. Um... Uh, are all of them as there is I suppose there's beauty in everything really isn't there um, so I, I, like I hope this was okay and it took you out of your little Christmas thing because we're in we're in the dead zone now aren't we the dead zone from from the 26th through to the 31st is kind of like what happens in those days nothing it's such a weird time of the year we just slips away and everybody's like what did you do oh, I just sat around just kind of just you know and no, listen, I'm no better. I'll be sitting around watching films and doing the odd hour in, in work. But like, you know, the gym isn't open full time during that week either. So I'll do my training and all that. And then I'll just watch films and just chill out and eat, eat crap. And that's OK, too. But um, yeah, so we'll be back, obviously, in the new year. I don't know who the first guest in the new year. Maybe I'll have to do another solo one. It, like I said, it's very difficult to get people to come on and talk because they're so busy. Um, so I hope that's OK. But we'll be back, you know, with a bang, with more guests and fun and laughter and all that stuff. Um, but for now, I want to thank John Francis. Uh, I want to wish him a happy new year. I want to wish my mom, my dad, granddad, Jaron Calvin, a happy new year. And I want to wish everybody who listened and watched over 2023 a happy new year. Um, you subscribe to us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. 
we're on spotify apple google podcasts and all the other ones and uh yeah once again happy new year uh have a lovely day and thanks for listening bye